0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and it's time to go to Paris. It's always time to go to Paris. I love Paris. I could spend more time in Paris than any city in Europe. And you know, the more I understand Paris and know about Paris, the more I like it. That's why I'm excited about this interview coming up right now. I'm joined by Patrick Vidal, a friend and fellow tour guide that has worked uh, many, many years in and around Paris. And Patrick, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Bonjour. Bonjour, ça va. Ça va très bien, merci. I have not learned any more French since I saw you last (laughs) I'm Sorry. (laughs) When you think about Paris, it's the dominant city in France, really. It's the center, the transportation hub, the capital, the cultural
1: center. How do people in the countryside look at Paris? It's the first thing, France is a very centralized country and, uh, and Paris, if you want to make any career on any jobs in France there you've got to start with Paris, Paris or around Paris there that's going to be the outskirt, the banlieue but it's going to be around Paris from a, from a post office worker to a musician to, uh, to any job around France it's going to start in Paris there so the Provenceaux, the, the ones which are living outside of, of Paris there are always looking at Paris like the, the big place where at some point of your career You've got to spend some time. And uh, there, is, there is an opposition in France between the Parisian and the non-Parisian there. Both of them are looking at the other ones like they are barbarians They're pretty much there. And uh, it's very interesting. You know, the, the French cars, the, on the, their license plates, they've got the last two digits are telling you where the car is coming from. Yeah. And Paris has got 75 at the back. And anybody who would take his 75 car outside of Paris is looked at from the other drivers like a Parisian can't drive. I mean, that's got no idea. And, but if you are a Provencal and you come to Paris... With your any other number from outside Paris, the Parisians are looking at you driving and you think, oh, he doesn't know the town, he can't drive, it's so bad. Yeah.
0: So as a traveler, we can look at a license plate if it has 75 on the last two digits.
1: 75 will be Paris. Oh, the, the outskirt around Paris is 91 to 95. Yeah. Now, why is France so centralized around Paris? What does that go back to? French Revolution. I mean, the, uh, it even started before. I mean, the, uh, we can even put it to Louis XIV. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Louis XIV moved to Versailles, there was no point living outside of Paris anymore. Before him, any king who wanted to meet his subjects had to travel around. That's right. That was how Charlemagne was so effective because he moved around all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. All the kings of, in France. Versailles is the first chateau
0: in France which was ever furnished. In fact, we have a, a saying, a room fit for a king. I think that goes back to when kings had to be mobile. And if you had a big mansion in the countryside, Absolutely. you would want that a room was, fit that was, for a king. That was
1: very, very important. Yeah, yeah. And the kings would travel around and would, would take their furnitures with them, their chef with them. And well, what's the French word travel for around. furniture? Furniture, des meubles. What meubles. does that mean? Mebbles to mobile. Uh, to move, yeah, mobile. Mo- yeah, so absolutely. furniture means yeah. movable. Yeah, absolutely. So you fold up your furniture, go to yeah. the next chateau. Absolutely. So Louis the Fourteen came up and said. I want everybody to live around me. I mean, the story is very long. We could go mm-hmm. on forever. But uh, I want everybody to, to live around me. Okay, so that was the end of the mobile furniture. Absolutely. Everything stays
0: still and don't move anymore. And now France is centralized, and we have Paris as the dominant city. And Napoleon, I, I think, probably made that even now, more French
1: so. The French Revolution, I would say. The French, French Revolution re- really, Napoleon, really yeah. re- re-centralized everything there and decided that everything would be running from Paris and, and set in Paris there. Now, when you see tourists in Paris... And, you know, they do all the predictable things. They're
0: going to go up the Eiffel Tower, they're going to see the Louvre, they're going to cruise the river. What advice would you give an American friend going to Paris to make sure to distinguish that trip by connecting with the culture and and having a Parisian experience?
1: The big sites are the big sites. I mean, they they are anywhere in the world you visit those places, you're going to be amongst tourists and uh, it's going to feel a little bit like like a tourist experience there. The the non-tourist experience is outside of that. Is going to the bakery, is going to the bars, is going to the the shops and places around like that. The, the main thing for the French people is use the polite words, use the bonjour, use the bonsoir, use the au revoir, merci, uh, hello, uh, goodbye, thank you, all those things there.
0: So that's connecting with the French um, expertise at living well on a neighborhood scale. You need to know a little bit about the French culture to go into a bakery and, and appreciate what you're seeing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's really a culture. It's not, it's not hard. It's just making a little step forward to, to meet the people and so to break the ice. W- when
0: I go into a French bakery, I'm, I'm not very sophisticated, but I know to look for a pain au chocolat that's a good idea and Sounds I love good. It. sounds good yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would be another tip for you how can you uh, feel the quality or, or, or just connect what would be some advice
1: well simple things I mean to, you talk about a bakery and buying a pain au chocolat on Sunday morning that's the day where the French are going to buy the fresh bread they've got the time it's Sunday they don't, they don't, they've got any rush they don't have any rush they're going to have a nice lunch there they go out for the bread they might buy the pain au chocolat the croissant thing like that and the main thing is when you look for your bakery look for the bakery with a longer first line on the street there on because the pavement
0: there. there can be one street with the bakery at either end and one bakery can be empty and the other can be mobbed with people
1: that may be the only situation where french people are happy to line and wait to, in line. to wait in line yeah
0: absolutely i live in seattle and uh, the coffee shop is where we, uh, we everybody has their favorite coffee shop but in france it would be the, the that's bakery that's the bakery that's the, the, the bakery. Ba- ba- big thing i've yeah. heard that uh, yeah. in a bakery the baker can either do pastries or or breads
1: yeah, very often the, the baker won't do both and he will have another worker with him. The baker will be specialized in, mm. either in bread or in, in pastry. Unfortunately for our Line, uh, when you enter those bakeries, the patisserie, the pastries are all around the place. It's very hard to resist them. It's very hard to resist. So you want to connect into the neighborhoods. You want to understand the cafe culture. The, the thing to know is that When you sit down at a table in France, when you take your table, you order your drink there, the table is yours. You can stay as long as you want there.
0: Now, a lot of Americans complain about slow service, but ironically, that's good service. A lot of French people complain about quick service. So we complain about slow service and you complain about fast service. Yes, absolutely. French want to take their time. We're eating and running and you're eating and staying.
1: When somebody goes out for dinner, obviously, they've got their time. They want to take their time there. Obviously, the guy in, in front of him at the desk there will say, "Okay, I don't want to rush them. They finish their plate there. Let them talk a little bit there. We'll take the plate and bring the meal, bring the second dish a little bit later there." So take they your want time. to drag the meal out, absolutely. And in a restaurant, same thing at a cafe. You sit down; the table is yours. You can stay as long as you want. So,
0: if you are going to a restaurant and you know you have to go to a play or a movie, you tell the waiter.
1: You got to be, you got to be pretty, uh, pretty um, direct. Direct about that. There. Say, "Okay, up." Got to be out in one hour. I mean, and don't they will make not be le- offended
0: by that. They will just no, work absolutely. with you. No,
1: no, 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 no. It's even uh, for lunch, for instance. It's more often on lunch. I mean, like. Uh, well,
0: now Paris is speeding up where they have their business lunches.
1: You've got those menu express. It's called menu express express, like like in English there, and that's really normally one dish, one coffee, one dish, one drink, uh, something like that there. And if you order one of those things there, they know. You don't want to make it a long lunch there, and you want to keep going there. So you can be in and out quickly within your lunch hour. Absolutely.
0: When we're thinking about fun things to do today in Paris, there's lots of things that are designed for the locals that tourists can enjoy. For
1: instance, they create a beach in the summer now on the Seine River, don't they? Yeah, yeah, once a year now, from uh, mid-July to mid-August. They bring tons of sand. They bring palm trees. They bring shower cubicles and things. They're settling uh, some little shops with uh, ice cream cellars. Uh, Paris Plage. Paris Plage, it's called there.
0: And it's on a highway,
1: uh, yeah, and they close it to cars, and it's the one that's built right along the river. Yes, it is the, it is the one which, uh, which normally helps to ease the traffic from the west of Paris to the east of Paris. Now, can
0: they do that because there's less people in town during the summer because anybody who can get out will?
1: As a former bus driver, I will tell you that uh, when they do that kind of things, they are, the drivers are not very happy because that means all the traffic ends up on the on the roads above there yeah. and it's not very easy for people driving around.
0: But uh, it was July and August. Isn't that the, the easiest traffic is,
1: time? Yeah, the traffic is lighter anyway.
0: Yeah, they can absolutely. get away with yeah, yeah, it easier. Yeah, yeah. So you've yeah. got the Plage, the beach on the Seine and people are, it feels like they're on the Riviera and they're right there under the Eiffel Tower. You've also got this uh, wonderful skating phenomenon. Parisians seem to be crazy about their rollerblading.
1: Yeah, once a week on Friday night there's this big organized skating parade. If I'm thousands of people, thousands of people going from the Invalides neighborhood there, finishing at the Bastille on the eastern part of Paris. There, it's a huge thing. So it's very, very big there. It's a spectacle. Oh, yeah.
0: Even sick. if you don't skate, you can get Absolutely. out and watch it. I've, yeah. I've been, like, just overwhelmed by thousands of skaters coming by, and then I remember, oh, it's Friday night. Paris, And is you can skating. even
1: have a little bit of ice skating if you want. I mean, in front of the Hotel de Ville, once a year, around the Christmas time, they normally start end of November, they'll close it in January and they do a little ice skating ring free for people coming. Uh, coming now, one
0: running. very charming aspect of Parisian culture are the Buchanistas, right? These little bookshops along the riverbank. They've been there for centuries. They've been It's a big, big thing there. It's like the, a culture.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is there. The, the word is, uh, it comes from books, like in English. There. It, it comes from the same root there. And uh, they used to be along the river they used to be right along the river there, and they've been brought up on the uh, pavement on the uh, platform, which is above By the above sidewalk, there, yeah. where the sidewalk is there, and. When you don't know it, you think that, oh, it, it might be a bit of a tree strap. There's boxes along all the trees, places mm-hmm. there. But no, it's not because, uh, first of all, the the variety of things they sell is amazing. There goes from posters to books to... Old can, comics. Old and comics. Uh, and they've
0: got their big metal boxes, like little shops, the size of the back of a car, maybe the trunk of a car. Uh, but they hang on the balustrade overlooking the river and they lock them up. And then uh, when they want to open their shop, they just flip open the top. And you have all of these beautiful old books or posters or and whatever.
1: A, yeah, that's a good description. And and that sums it up because they don't have any overhead. No overhead. So what they sell is pretty reasonable price. Yeah. Even if it's a bit touristy, it's very reasonable price. But it seems the
0: Parisians like to go down there and just Oh, it's scroll. a huge thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I buy books from there very often. Tell me about the markets and the flea market in Paris. The main one is the one northern part of Paris called uh, Port de Clignancourt. Uh, Clignancourt. Clignancourt, okay. yeah. It's a, it's a main, main one there. It's, it's changing. It's not as much of a natural flea market as it used to be there. It's kind of a cheap
0: place for immigrants to go buying their toilet paper and their and undershirts. A, a little bit,
1: yeah. That's part of it. And the second part is uh, antics. I mean, there's a huge, huge amount of antics. If you keep going along Clignancourt, a, okay. bit, a, a bit further down there, there's a lot of courtyards where it's big antique and not cheap. I mean, the, the guys are buying from all over France and all over Europe, maybe even there. And they come here to sell because they know a lot of people are going to come around for that.
0: That's Port de Clignancourt. There's a subway stop right there.
1: There's a subway stop. That's yeah. an easy access there, and um, it's a very good place.
0: Pamela's on the phone from Carrollton, Texas. Hi, Pamela.
2: Hi. How are you doing, Rick?
0: Great. Thanks for your call.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. I was in uh, Paris for three days and um, overwhelmed by what to, to do in three days, so I was wondering what your suggestion would be for uh, the, the must-see for a three-day stay in Paris.
0: Boy, that's a good challenge. Patrick, what should, what should Pamela do in three days?
1: Okay, three days in Paris. Let's see. Uh, big museums? I would put the two main ones there: the Orsay and the uh, the Impressionist Museum, and the Louvre, of course. I mean, three days is not enough. Probably sh- on two different days. So yeah, two different days, absolutely. There, mm-hmm. then the big tourist things there, like the uh, Eiffel Tower and the uh, the cruise on the on the river. Which is a uh, cruise on the river. I would do that in the evening, one evening the cruise on the river, because you want the, the town to be dark. That's, after all, it's the city of the lights. So the cruise is mm-hmm.
0: most interesting and romantic in the after yes. hours. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. And they yeah, have yeah. the big spotlights,
1: yeah. so they light up everything. Uh, definitely, and a uh, little tip about that there I mean the uh, there's, they offer as well dinner on those cruises there I'm not very keen on them I mean it's, uh, it's a lot of money and the main thing is you can't do two things at the same time you can't eat and enjoy the show you could eat a crepe and enjoy the show well, maybe
0: if you want to have a picnic
1: Exactly, so, but you don't want to find dinner. No, no, no. That, there's absolutely no point there. So it's much better to keep the to keep it uh, cheap and to do the normal thing, uh, and then save the money for a nice dinner on the on the ground there. That's, uh, that's much much easier than that there. And oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. We said one day in the Louvre. We said uh, morning in the Orsay, the Eiffel Tower in the afternoon, and keep a bit of time for a few extra things. Taking from the, uh, my favorite is the Cluny Museum, which is the Museum of Medieval Art in uh, in Paris. There, which I really enjoy visiting and, and going over and over there. Uh, Going up the Champs-Élysées, of course. It's fun to stroll. And for the lazy tourists, stroll
0: down the Champs-Élysées. Start at the Arc de Triomphe and go downhill. It's much easier. It's much easier. Hey, Pamela, also we have produced um, iPod tours that are available for free on the Internet. If you go to ricksteves.com, we've got all of our guided tours for the Louvre, for the Orsay, for the historic walk through Paris, and also for Mm -hmm. Versailles. And you can listen to it on your iPod, and it's absolutely free, so that might be interesting for you.
2: And, and Rick, I wanted to tell you, we stayed in Rue, the Rue Claire area at the uh, Hotel Vac
0: and it was wonderful. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, Patrick and I are talking about getting away from the tourist attractions, and there's a lot of tourists on the Rue Claire, but it is a good slice of village Paris. And it seems there's a lot of uh, a real neighborhood loyalty in Paris. Everybody it is. It is an know.
1: important part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you say they're from the European, uh, where are you from? They will tell you, the little region they're, they're from. The Parisian will tell you which district they're from there. You know, Paris is divided in 20 districts. Yeah. Uh, it starts okay. from the center, the number one, and then it goes around like the French as a snail shell. You know, anybody okay, else with the spiral, a, show, a yeah. spiral of districts around Absolutely, the number, the number fifteen to twenty are the one which are almost outside of Paris. Do you know the personality if somebody says they live in the fifth arrondissement? Absolutely, it, it tells you already who, who you're speaking to. I is mean, right? somebody says I'm living in the sixteenth. ooh that's a bit upscale and very expensive. Is that right? Somebody nowadays tell you I live in the twentieth. That's more the hip kind of area there where everything is happening at the moment, music and, and all those things. So there. if you're
0: single and available and you, and you weren't very honest, you could say, I'm from the 16th. <laughs> and that would be <laughs> that, that would, would be, be good <laughs> where, where would you not say you're from?
1: Where would you not say you're from? I don't No, I don't think it goes that, that badly there, but... Uh, in fact, it's interesting. When I say to my friends, I'm working and living in the 7th District with the uh, Rue Cler area, they're always surprised because the rest of the 7th District outside of the Rue Cler, it's very residential. I mean, they, when you think of the uh, Rodin Museum or the Invalides place there, and they think, oh, what are you doing in the 7th? But you don't know the Rue Cler area because <laughs> all around the Rue Cler area is the, so nice and so village feeling. It's in incredibly the charming. It's- Absolutely, yeah. Each arrondissement has its own mayor, I believe, right? Yes. Up to 1974, there was one mayor for every arrondissement, and that was it. So that was a bit difficult to organize the city and to go one direction there. So 1974, they decided to get one on top of those city mayors, of those regional arrondissement one, uh, an extra one, the, the, the top city mayor of Paris there.
0: Pamela, have a great time. Thanks for your call.
2: Okay, thank you. I'm going to take my husband this time,
0: so I can't wait. Dwight in Minneapolis, thanks for your call. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very good. Good. Got a comment or question for Patrick?
3: Well, I, I first went to Paris in 1968 when I was 19 and a student. And, of course, that was the year of the big student revolts, although I wasn't part of that. But um, I've been back 10 or 12 times in the succeeding years, and I just think it's the most fabulous city in the world to visit. I love all of the left bank which is where I first was staying when I was there. And I've stayed in many of the arrondissements. The 5th, the 6th, and the 7th are probably my favorites, and all the differences, though they're right along the river there. I love walking along the river, the various bridges and the various views you get. And
0: You sound like somebody who could go back to Paris for a lifetime.
3: Oh, that's my ultimate goal should I well I mean (laughs) I know people
0: like that. They've been traveling they just go to Paris. It's not you can't see Paris. You you always can go back.
3: Yes. That's that's exactly what I think. At work we have a funny little game that we play with each other where we each have our areas of expertise. And mine is the streets of Paris. And they all say I can bring a conversation back to the streets of Paris at any given moment.
0: Now what is your tip for people wanting to be comfortable in the cafe and, and really do that right?
3: Just go. Just sit down.
0: Sit down and, 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 what? and what? And order. And order. And enjoy And be enjoy, there. And, and, be sit there. Yeah. and
3: watch. And look. And, and not be afraid. I was a French major in college, and so I had a good grasp of the language when I went. But even if you don't, just don't be afraid.
0: Now, Dwight, what do you tell Americans that are convinced that the Parisians are just rude?
3: They are? No. I don't think so. I've never met a rude Parisian in my life. You know, if you talk and give them the respect that you want, you're going to get it back.
0: You know, if you've never met a rude Parisian in your life, that means you are... um approaching them the correct way, I think. Well, I hope so. And you're seeing them the correct way. See, a lot of Americans come in in August, and anybody who can afford to get out of Paris does, I think, and they're yeah. meeting some poor person that's slogging away down in the metro at a ticket office, and and all they do is hear tourists that, that don't know the money and can't speak the language and have a $20 bill for a $1 ticket, and they're okay. short. And uh, then the people come away thinking, oh, the people of Paris are, are rude, but that's really not a fair way to look at it.
3: Well, then they didn't. Do their homework before they went. That's right. And I think that's very important. I don't always have a plan of what I want to do when I'm there. I've never been there for less than a week or 10 days. And I've got a sort of general plan. I want to approach the people. I want to meet the people. They're very approachable. And you just make it work.
0: Dwight, when you go back to Paris, do you have a ritual that you kind of are psychologically and emotionally there again? What do you do? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) What what is that?
3: Walk up and down the Boulmiche. Walk up and down um, the river along the bank by the Louvre. Stand on the Pont Neuf and look at Notre Dame. Turn around and look at the Grand Palais. Then I'm adjusted. Then you're there. Then I'm there. Then I know what I'm doing. Very nice. And then I just follow my nose. Walk, 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 walk. And it's a town, a city that is created for walking. I love the metro, but only when I have to get to a far distant part of the city that I've decided, oh, that's where I need to go. But otherwise, just walk.
0: Good advice. All right, Dwight. Hey, we'll see you in Paris sometime.
3: Yeah, I hope so.
0: Thanks for your comments. That'd be great. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Stuart in Boise, Idaho. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for your call.
3: Hi, Rick. Patrick, thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, I've been to Paris a couple of times. My wife's been with me once and we were planning to go back again and we were actually thinking of a uh, of a two-month stay in a flat. So I'd like your advice, Patrick's advice. Do you think that's a little overkill or is that about the right amount of time to truly just live the experience as you ought to vive? I think
1: like that that's a bit like anywhere else I mean if you want really to have the true experience and spend time there I mean it sounds like a marvelous idea there one month two months there to get ready to get into the culture ready ready to have the chance to meet people and to spend the time like the the Parisians do there to me it sounds like a great idea Stuart where are you going to stay
3: well I would you recommend staying in one place or do something uh, in around Montparnasse and maybe something you know a little more central rent maybe in the 8th arrondissement or maybe in Sacre-Coeur you know move around or stay in just one place
0: that's one thought you could have two different
1: yeah, you could have two different places, but Paris is not that big. I mean, uh, yeah. you you can so easily walk from one place to another one. That uh, where would you, you stay if you were? Gonna where stay? would I stay? I like the Montparnasse idea. Montparnasse? I like the Montparnasse yeah. idea. There's a, there's a very nice life around the Montparnasse uh, the Montparnasse area there. I like the 12th district. It's completely out of the way. It's uh-huh. uh, it's not very well known. Uh, it's uh, it's the eastern part of Paris there, but it's uh, it's uh, again uh, a very very village feeling, and it's a very nice neighborhood there. And again, everything is so accessible from anywhere in Paris that. Uh,
0: Mm-hmm. That works pretty well. Oh, that's a beautiful thing about the metro too. Of course you can walk, but you hop in that metro and, and you're there. Stuart, good luck.
2: Thank you very
3: much.
0: Yeah, happy travels.
2: Also.
0: Well Mary in Madison, Wisconsin. Hi Mary.
2: Yes, hi Rick.
4: I had a comment that my husband and I were fortunate to uh, live in uh, the Normandy region for nine months a few years ago. We lived in a very small town called Verno. Once we got used to Verno we would take the train into Paris Uh, It seemed like every week or every 10 days or so, and we just loved Paris, and I think it's really a beautiful city. We were impressed with the friendliness of the people and just had a wonderful experience. We walked quite a bit. We hardly used the metro, and uh, it was just a great time.
0: So you stayed in a small town in Normandy and moved into Paris for your excursions.
4: Definitely. You
0: saw two different sides of France.
4: We sure did. Our town was very small, and we we were doing a house share with another couple. Hmm. We were living in their home and had access to their car, and they were here in the United States in our house with our car. So uh, that was a whole different aspect of it as well.
0: Now, you live in Wisconsin. Yes. What do you think a big uh, American misperception is that hurts uh, travel experiences for people that are heading from here to France?
4: I think people still think the French are rude and unfriendly and don't like us. And we went the end of 2004 when some bright people had the idea to name French fries Freedom Fries. So we ran into French people who even asked us about that. We were apologetic, and we tried to be good representatives of the United States and just say, you know, that was just a a minority and that we did not feel that way. And we just tried to to brush over that the best we could and, and just say that we were... You know we were friendly, and we wanted to talk about anything else and just share our experiences but People were inquiring about our attitudes and what we thought about our government, but people were very friendly, especially in Paris. I I really found uh, Mm. people wanting to help us whenever we had questions about directions or language, and we just had a very positive experience.
0: It saddened me when some Americans decide not to go to France because they think this is not a good time because they don't like Americans, when I don't think there's any truth to that at all.
4: I don't think so either, and I don't think that was really the case. When we were there in 2004 at the prime of the war, I think, again, they were curious, but they really seemed to be able to differentiate between the average person and the government.
0: I think different people have different frustrations with their government. Yes. It's never the case that everybody gets who they wanted. Uh,
4: That's right. I did have a question. I was curious if your guest is aware of how the bicycle rental is going in Paris. I understand that's something that's current.
1: Oh, this is the, the bicycle loaner yeah, program? The yeah, the Vélib. Yeah, it's a big hit. The way it works is that uh, they've got those banks all around the town where they've got bikes for rent. And uh, you put your credit card in the machine, you get the little rental period there, and you take the bike, and you drop it in another bank somewhere somewhere else. So well, these well, are little, little racks where you little plug racks, the bike yeah, in. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh, they're not trying to make money. I think it's a subsidy. No. Oh, it's right. very 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 reasonable it's a token price there. Price. It's the Euro.
1: only problem as tourist, for you as a tourist going down there, is that they won't take credit card, which are not uh, with without the chip. Now the, that's on a big there. frustration
0: for a lot of Americans. Mm-hmm. More and more Europeans have this little um, what electronic chip on yeah, their card. Absolutely, yeah. and Americans don't have that. So we think it says credit cards are fine, but th- what they mean is credit cards with a
1: chip. Yes, some of the machines won't take the... And definitely the Velib machine won't take that. So so it's okay. a little bit refraining for... Most of for, those things for, are designed for yes. local people,
0: I think, mm-hmm. primarily. Mary, thanks for your call and your comments.
2: Okay, thank you. You bet. Bye.
0: Joel's on the line from Bottle, Washington. Hi, Joel.
3: Hi, Rick. How are you?
0: Great. Thanks for your call. Do you have a comment for Patrick?
3: Uh, I was wondering. We were in Paris, Loire, and Normandy in September. Uh, I'll be going back. My wife and I will be going back. And one thing we also love is the opera. We were right outside the Paris Opera when we took a bus from Charles de Gaulle Airport. And we were wondering if there are any tips of how to get tickets, if there's any special way to get advance notice and be sure to get, you know, single subscriber tickets.
1: You can you can find them online. I mean, they've got they've got a good website. I, I don't know the exact name of the website. You've got to mm-hmm. Google it. There, you've got a good website, and I think they've got an English version that you now can. Now there's yeah, two figure. opera
0: houses in Paris. There's two
1: opera houses. There's the old uh, Garnier Opera House, which Garn- is Garnier. Garnier, G A R N I E R, and that's the famous one most of us know. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, that's the one which was Neurdier. built in the 19th century, which uh, which has right. got this very famous facade there, because it was built in the 19th century at the time when being on stage and seeing the show was not the important part of it the important was to be seen at the show more That's right the lobby
0: is as big as the, the actual uh, exactly there
1: they they are foyers and there are balconies everywhere it was important to be seen there more than to see the show the show was kind and of and I gotta a say you track, yeah. very good hanging Whoa. out on the stairway <laughs> because of that in the late 20th century they decided that to allow more people to be able to go to the show <laughs> they'll open the, a new um, opera building at the Bastille at, and they built it at the Bastille very controversial like any of those uh, new European building there, glass building in the middle of old building there. But it's been open for 20 years now, or something like that, and it's a success. I mean, there's much more seats for every performance, though you've got very reasonable prices and more expensive prices. So
0: when you're looking at tickets in some sort of a periscope or something, when you're looking at the the listing, the periscope is is a very important tool for people visiting Paris. It's this uh, every week or every two week uh, guide to all of the events.
1: Yeah, you've got all the events. Uh, it can be from music, can be from uh, movies, it can Everything. be uh, some some walks, conferences, and, and so on. Like
0: about a dollar, the equivalent it cost, of a dollar. It less than that. Of nothing. Yeah. It's uh, the Periscope. And w- if you look in there, would it say Opera Garnier and Opera Bastille? We, it will. That's yes. how you distinguish. Okay. And in uh, Vienna and Milano, they've got all sorts of cheap standby seats and standing room seats at the very top that are designed for students that are almost give giveaway. They're like $5 each. In it, Paris, I don't... At uh, The they Bastille
1: Opera, they've got some seats that they sell at the last minute, which are pretty at reasonable prices as well. Okay. I think the lowest prices are something like 15, uh, 15 euros i got to say, for me, the
0: best musical deal in town is on Sunday at San Sulpice Cathedral. You can actually go up into the organ loft between the mass, the first mass and the second mass, and you can literally sit on the bench with the greatest pipe organist in Europe, Daniel Roth. He welcomes guests. He's a charming man. It's a real treat. After the first mass, a little door in the back of the nave opens up, and organ aficionados and a few tourists in the know slip in there, and they scamper like little 16th notes up that tight spiral staircase into the musty loft past these giant... It's like 19th-century treadmills where people used to physically tread to power the billows that would pump the sound through the organ pipes, and then you see Daniel Roth, and he's just a wonderful organist, and he does a little concert, and you can be right there with him between the services on Sunday. That's Saint-Sulpice Cathedral, famous because of the uh, Da Vinci Code. A lot of people are going there for that reason, but I go there for the organ concert. Joel, I hope that gives you a few tips. Uh, We don't know specifically about the opera, but there's lots of great music to enjoy in Paris.
3: Wonderful. Thanks very much.
0: Happy travels.
3: Thanks.
0: When you think about Paris, people say it's the romantic city. Ah, it's the city of lights. The city of light,
1: the city of love. The city of love, yeah. That's really the place where you want to be in the evenings when all the lights are coming up and uh, taking the boat or being along the river. You can sit up on the steps of Montmartre. For instance, it's a
0: wonderful place, right Mm -hmm. in front of that beautiful neo-Byzantine church, the uh, Sacré-Cœur. Sacré-Cœur. I sit there, and you can see, I believe that the arrondissement lights come on at night, one district at a time, and the whole city is lit before you. It's a glorious moment. That's a good point. Where
1: are some romantic places for you in Paris? Romantic places: Island of the City, the tip of the Island of the City, the uh, the western part there, where the uh, vedettes du Pont Neuf are starting from there. Very, very nice. So there's
0: the little island where we have the Notre Dame Cathedral. Notre Dame and saint Chapelle. Yeah. And there is a triangular park with trees. It's a cute little park. Just uh, just on the other side of the Pont Neuf. Yeah. The, uh, it's like romantic couples are lined up there and they get the point one at a time.
1: Romance is very linked with the, with the river, it's to me. Beautiful, it's beautiful, yeah. It's very, it's very much what's going on along the river, having the water and the lights around there. I think that's where the romance lies for me. A romantic picnic on the banks of the Seine. Oh. Ah, that would make the trick, yeah, absolutely. People do this a lot. You mm-hmm. see some beautiful
0: picnics with the tablecloth. People go on a date, I think, down to the riverbank.
1: Ah, French like to do their picnic properly, you know.
0: First-class picnic. Another romantic spot. Another romantic spot. In the Tuileries Gardens, there's people that are just... Uh, it's an elegant sort of thing. The Tuileries, they've got the uh, people strolling, musicians. You've got children with their little um, boats in the
1: ponds. Yes, yeah, some, some of those gardens. its not uh, the, uh, I, w- I would line up with the Luxembourg Garden as well. It's got the same kind of atmosphere there. Old France, old Paris atmosphere there, where, where really people will take their kids there and there are plenty of little games for the kids. And But in the evening, it will turn more into a, a more elegant and elegant. more romantic. Romantic place, and it's the one park I know in Paris where you can actually go on the grass. Yes, yeah, there's not that many of them.
0: Most of the grass is for looking at, not for laying on. Yeah, that's a funny thing about the French and their grass. You have to look at it. You can't, you can't touch it. We have Sarah on the line in Portland, Oregon. Hi, Sarah.
2: Hi, Rick, and bonjour, Patrick. Bonjour. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my partner and I just returned from a five-day stay in Paris, and we stayed in the Marais district thanks to your fabulous tip, Rick. And we found Parisians exquisitely patient, especially with my French, and very kind. And we had a fabulous time, but we couldn't find gay-friendly spots specific for women.
0: You couldn't Um, find gay-friendly spots for women. Okay, that's interesting. I would have thought they would have been more uh, easygoing about that.
1: But the Marais, more gay-friendly area is not necessarily the more touristic part there. It's, it's a little bit more hidden, a little bit more tucked away, the Rue des Francs Bourgeois, most on the western part of the, of the Marais part. And that will be the place where we'll find more bars and, and places where the gays are, are gathering more often there.
0: Sarah, did I interrupt you? I'm sorry. Did you have more to explain?
2: Well, actually, no. Um, I did have something, I don't know if it's off-topic, but I'm wondering if you, Patrick, have any perspective on how Parisians feel about gay marriage.
1: Oh, that's that's a. I mean, we could talk about it all night long. I mean, it has got a, a lot of arguments in France about this this gay marriage. I mean, all over Europe, there's a lot of discussion about uh, political uh, property to, to to accept the gay marriages there. And I don't think the Parisians have got a special view about it there. I, I just maybe think that the Parisian being being more urban, being more international town, and with the Marais being a, a definitely a gay friendly area there are certainly a bit more open-minded than people in the middle of
0: France, I would say. Let's make sure our readers understand the Marais. That's the key word here. That's the um, the, sort of the gay hangout in Paris, I think, is the Marais. Yes,
1: it is. And uh,
0: and Paris is going to be one of the more gay-friendly places in Europe, I would think. But Sarah, did you find that not the truth?
2: Actually, I thought it was lovely. And we spent a little bit more time in Italy and Switzerland, and we really didn't experience any difficulty at all, but definitely felt very welcome in Paris. We did see many um, gay boys around, but just didn't seem to connect with um, hmm. a, a place just for women. So we were kind of interested to see what the perspective was.
0: Yeah, because now that I think about it, because the Marais is famous as the gay-friendly part of Paris, but it's mostly right? men.
1: Yes, it yes. is. Yeah, d- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. All yeah, right.
0: Well, Sarah, you're going to have to work to break that down. <laughs>
2: Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. I enjoy the show.
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening. Happy travels.
2: You too.
5: Bye bye.
0: Nicole's on the line in Dallas, Texas. Hello, Nicole. Hi there. I should say bonjour.
5: Bonjour. Oh,
0: people have such a nice accent.
5: Um, I go to Paris as often as possible, and I've spent more than half my life in the fashion business. And so I have a special predilection for finding fashion and textile museums. So I've been to the Musée de la Mode et du Costume and the Musée de la Mode et du Textile and I've been to see the tapestries being made at uh, Gobelin. And I was just wondering if I'm missing any other great collection of costume history or textiles or anything like that in or around Paris.
0: We're both thinking of tour guides, <laughs> where for costume? Because when you go to London, you have the incredible Victorian Albert, Victoria Museum Albert collection. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've and been
5: tempted to just spend the night somewhere hidden in the in the textile department at the V and A.
0: Yeah. And I, I you know, it's funny now that you did did you mention the um tapestry works in Paris? Yes, Goblin, I've yeah, Gobelin. Mm-hmm. And
5: I it the tour is only given in French and I, I know. speak French, so it was fine, but my husband, who doesn't speak French, enjoyed it just as much and I would recommend it even to people that don't speak French. It's really interesting just to see what they do.
1: But, uh, it's pretty obvious that those out of the tracks museum will will be geared for the French. I mean, that's the, yeah. that's not much that the uh, I mean, very few um, foreigner tourists will will go to those museums uh, anyway. Uh, it's not it's not judging them. It's just. It's just a just practical, pretty, thing. Pretty practical You don't, thing you don't find a yeah, uh, uh, yeah. museum in America. I, mean for, I mean, for the little knowledge I've got of that, because I'm, I'm a guy who doesn't go shopping and is not very interested in two fabrics there, I, I can accept that. Uh, I, I'd say uh, I would try just the Cluny Museum. It's full of tapestry there. Oh, the uni- and ma- the unicorn, The, ma- ma- the unicorn tapestry, the, the, the harvest tapestry. It's a very, very nice place. They've got some of the, of the best tapestries around in Paris there. Nicole, oh. have you seen that one?
5: You know, I've never gone to that one, believe it it or not. You know,
0: sometimes it just... something screams exquisite, and that is the unicorn tapestry there in the Clooney Museum. Well,
5: I'll have to make sure I go there the next time.
0: Beautifully lit. Thanks for your call, Nicole. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye now. We have an email from Sharon in Lakeland, Florida. She writes, Tell your travelers that the Notre Dame Towers are open during the summer in the evening on weekends only, and from up there you can view the first Eiffel sparkle. So you can go up to the top of the Notre Dame, and on the weekends in the summer and watch the Eiffel Tower sparkle. Have you heard about that? Oh, okay. yeah, that's a good,
1: very good spot. My, my, my best views on Paris ever are the one which has the lowest one. It sounds a bit strange when you think of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. But Paris is a... I know that Parisians don't like me to say that, but Paris is a flat town. Not only... The, there are hills in Paris there, but on buildings. Most of the buildings have followed this rule of this six-story building. Yeah. So when you go to the top of the Eiffel Tower, it's a must to be there. But Paris looks like a map.
0: You know, the view is not that spectacular from the top. There, it's, it's a map. It, you yeah. got,
1: uh, underneath you, you've got yeah. a map. There's nothing it's, sticking out. It's Google no. Earth. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's
0: right. So you go to the top of the Notre Dame, you might arguably have a better view.
1: You've got a view of the roofs. You've got a view of... You see the different levels uh, all over the place the there.
0: I love the view from the top of the Arc de Triomphe. Oh, the Arc de Triomphe. I love because it Because you well. see mm. the different spokes going out, those grand boulevards.
1: There's another view that Parisian uh, like as well. It's the from the top of the Montparnasse Tower. And some people say, because you don't see the Montparnasse Tower.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's the box the Eiffel Tower came in. <laughs> Absolutely, the Montparnasse Tower is a great trip to the top. You do get a spectacular view from there. The views are very good up there. You know, she mentioned uh, Sharon mentioned the Eiffel Sparkle. Uh, the Eiffel Tower these days, it's just it's electrified with lights, and it goes crazy at the
1: top of every hour. What's the deal with that? The deal was they, they created that in 2000. That was for the celebration of the, of the new millennium there. Right. And it was supposed to stay only for one year, just for the year 2000. They took it out, and everybody came back to them saying, you can't do that. Give us back the sparkling lights. It's impossible there. So now, as soon as it's dark for on the hour, the lights are coming back. And uh, On the and hour. On the hour. Every of, night. Yeah, every night from five, five before, five after, something like that. There. I think it stays for 10 minutes, and it's great. And the Eiffel Tower has a. Electronic orgasm. I mean, it's incredible. (laughs) It's amazing. An email
0: from Janice in Pinehurst, North Carolina. In Paris, we stayed on Bateau Johanna, a barge located in front of the Dorsey Museum. You might want to check this out and add it to your uh, list of hotels. You know, that's interesting. There's a boat, apparently. Would that be Bateau Johanna? A barge that's moored in the river. Could that be a hotel? That could be uh, that could be a bed and
1: breakfast type. A bed yeah? and breakfast.
0: Yeah. There's an idea. A lot of people live on boats in Paris, I believe.
1: Oh it's a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. B- bateau habitation as they call them, it's a Bata- big, big thing. So what a yeah.
0: romantic thing.
1: Uh, Richard from Lebanon,
0: Indiana, emailed us. He says I stayed in the Marais two years ago between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas for basic food and supplies. You can't beat the Monoprix. Don't pay with big bills. So the Monoprix is like the big grocery store. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's a bit of the. uh, Well, well, could I? Maybe, maybe Fred Meyer.
0: It's kind of American uh, efficiency. Yes,
1: yes, it is. It is a department store with everything, and for most of them, have a big section on food and the prices are reasonable, the choice is amazing. Are those in the basement a lot of times? Very often, very often. A lot
0: of times, you don't know where to get food in a big city, anywhere in Europe. You go to a department store, and it looks like you're going to have to eat the shirts and the pants. But no, you go downstairs, and you have a whole floor of groceries that are a fraction of the price of the convenience stores. Uh, The convenience stores are convenient all over Europe. With our dollar low, you don't want convenience as much as economy. You get that in the big stores, and that would be in the basement of the department stores, like the Monoprix. Richard also says the skating rink at the city hall late at night is great for people watching.
1: Yes, it's a, it's a very good it's a very good thing. It it goes on for November, December, January, something like that. A
0: lot of uh, parents bring their kids ice skating. Mm. It's in a, front it's of the a city free
1: hall. it's a free thing and uh, as long as they've got uh, they've got room they let people go on there. Richard's on to something I love, a fun walk is on the Promenade Plantée. Ah, la Promenade Plantée
0: in the 12th district I was talking district. about. Yeah. Now this is an uh, elevated uh, train line from the industrial age mm-hmm. and they decommissioned it. And what they've got is underneath these arcades that would be useless land are filled with little shops now under the tracks, you know, sort of defined by the, the round arch of the brick. And those are trendy little shops. And upstairs, where the train used to run, is a,
1: a long, skinny, green park. Yeah, and he goes for quite a while. He goes for uh, three or four miles. Tell I think, me about like it. I've it's, walked it's very it. Good. It's good yeah, exercise. Yeah, yeah. It's very good, yeah. It's mm-hmm. good
0: exercise, and you're exercising with all the Parisians. who are into jogging or rollerblading or whatever. A lot, a lot of people there. Yeah. And you get a look into people's homes because you're walking by all
1: these condos. From and, an the, view. and the shops and workshops, there are a lot of workshops as well. There's a lot uh, on the on the first path close to the Bastille, you've got workshops uh, fixing up restoring paintings and all that kind of things. Very, very interesting to walk along them as well. And that is called the Promenade
0: Plantie, the Plantie Promenade. And it basically goes away from the center of town from the Bastille Square. On the phone we have Julie from Laguna Niguel in California. Hi Julie. Hi there. Thanks for your call. Do you have a comment or a question for Patrick? Uh-
2: I do. Um, I've had the good fortune to visit Paris many times over the last eight years, about 10 or 11 of them. And I've done most of what we call the compulsories, but I've become fascinated with the uh, passageways, the covered passageways. And I'm wondering if Patrick has a favorite. I've done most of them around Grand Boulevard.
1: Yeah, I like the uh, I like the one which is close to the uh, Bibliothèque nationale, the, li- the national library there, uh, which is the Passage Vendôme. First of all, uh, explain these passages. Let's talk about those passages. They, they, you've, you found the same in London. They were, yeah. they were private land. They were owned by the the owners of the shops around there. It's like a little more. Yeah. but it's, it's a sort uh, of a
0: turn of the century, nineteenth century sort of ambience.
1: Oh, well, the first one dates back from the eighteenth century. Isn't there? Right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the one in the uh, next to the uh, national library there, the uh, the former national library, uh, dates back from seventeen eighties or seventeen nineties, and it's uh, it's very elegant places. Pretty much very expensive shops as well. But you've got some of the oldest shops in Paris. in Good those window places, shopping. Yeah. Good window shopping. Quite a few very interesting restaurants as well. And very, very interesting places to uh, to walk around. So, Julie, you sound like an aficionado of these passageways.
2: Well, I've explored as many as I could, but I'm always looking for new things when I go back to Paris. So.
0: And which ones are your favorites again?
2: Um, I've done um, Geoffrey and uh, Panorama and all the ones that lead off from those.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, Vivienne. I just, I'm always walking and looking for new ones.
0: So. Beautiful. Well, thanks for your call, and I think when people go to Paris, they should be looking out for those uh, little shopping passage just like they do in London.
2: Well, thank you very much. Bye now, Julie. Bye-bye.
0: We have Deb on the line in Atlanta. Do you have a comment or a question for Patrick? Uh,
2: bonjour, Patrick. Bonjour. Um, I've only been to Paris once, but I fell in love with the City of Lights,
4: and I'm especially fond of cemeteries and wondered if there were guided tours of the cemeteries in Paris.
1: Yes, the, uh, the the main one, of course, is the uh, Père Lachaise Cemetery, which is the uh, northeast of La Bastille, in the eastern part of Paris, and there, there are, they, they do guided tours of the uh, cemetery, or more simple than that, as you uh, as you enter the, the museum, uh, just, not the museum, the uh, the cemetery, just before you get to the cemetery, there are a couple of bars around which are selling little maps of the place there, okay. for a couple of euros, and you can just enjoy a, a walk on your own there, just following the steps of uh, different places, and discover Chopin, discover uh, Edith Piaf, and and uh, the mountain mm. goes from different periods of time there. And Jim Morrison. And Jim Morrison, of oh, course. Of course.
0: There. Oh, Frederick yeah. Chopin and Jim Morrison at the same cemetery visit. Hey Deb, I've got to. I've got to take this opportunity to remind you that I've worked very hard on a guided tour of the Pere Lachaise Cemetery in my Paris guidebook. Oh, wonderful! It's, it's so great. to I've had local guides sh- like Patrick show me around, and there's so much you can read into French culture and history right there in the cemetery. It's an art gallery of tombstones uh, just drenched in French history and art. So uh, I hope that you can take advantage of that. And do remember, there's a very handy bus, number 69, that goes from about the Eiffel Tower through many of the most interesting districts of Paris, and it finishes on the far side of town at the Père Lachaise Cemetery. Good luck on your trip, and thanks for your call.
4: Thanks, Rick
0: cemeteries in Paris and if you want to go one step beyond that you can go downstairs in the city to the catacombs
1: to the catacombs, yeah. You got the, the catacombs in the southern part of the city there, which is a very very interesting visit. It's a, it's not a very long one. You it can go forever. I mean, there uh, there are some sort of aficionados in the in the in the place there, which are discovering new places all the time and digging around the place. But literally millions of human bones, skulls, and 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 stacked beautifully, artistically from
0: all of the graveyards of the churches. Now, what was it after the uh, French Revolution, or one king or Napoleon said that the cemeteries were not hygienic and a uh, stupid use of city land so it was just decreed that all the cemeteries should be dug up and replaced with little parks and people zones around the churches the bones were taken with some fanfare to the gypsum quarries under the streets or the placer of paris quarries I guess under the streets you got literally miles of passageways now stacked with millions of human bones that's the catacombs in paris more bones there than you'll see all the other places with bones in europe put together there you go bones in paris bones in paris very good I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with Patrick Vidal, and our focus today is Paris. Patrick, people fall in love with Paris. People go there sometimes intending just to see the Mona Lisa, just to climb the Eiffel Tower, and they end up going back for the rest of their lives. What is it about Paris? Paris is the city
1: where, when you walk around, you just turn around and there's a new building, new interesting museum, new interesting statue all over the place there. And it's non-stop. I mean, you can't, you, can't, you can't do it all. I mean, it's, imp- it's impossible. I work in Paris. I live in Paris for a certain part of my life. And I don't know it all. There's still places that I can discover. And uh, there's too much to be done. Too and much to be seen. I've been going there for 20 years. And I
0: can hardly wait to go again. It's a city that really is the capital of Europe in so many ways. And it's a city that I believe the more you know it, the more you like it, the more you appreciate it. Yeah, it's right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh,
3: merci bien. And au revoir. Avec plaisir. Au revoir. Rick's weekly one-hour radio program, Travel with Rick Steves, airs in more than 100 cities across the country. Listen to podcasts of past shows in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Rick's public television series, Rick Steves Europe, also airs throughout the USA. You'll find the latest on Rick's TV and radio work, as well as his guidebooks and his free-spirited European tour program at ricksteves.com.